Hello, welcome to a special episode of Persuade You. This actually isn't even my episode. This was a guest appearance that I had recently on another podcast called Music of the Universe. And basically, I went over on Andy's podcast and he invited me on to talk about the ocean and some animals in the ocean. Uh, Unfortunately, because of the structure of his show, it was our hour-long conversation had to be condensed down into roughly a few minutes of dialogue here and there. So I asked him for permission to take the full audio of the interview, which was recorded on Zoom. So my end will not be as crisp as you're normally used to hearing. I did the best that I could in order to make it sound about as good as possible. And I took that full track. I brought it over. I edited it as much as I could, took out all the fluff. And this is the result of that. So without further ado, I hope you guys like it. introduce myself. I'm Andy Morrow. I'm a music teacher in uh, Oregon City around Portland, Oregon. And so I'm just making a podcast for my kids because we are uh, we don't have school in session right now and we're just doing everything online. Let's get into this a little bit. So I guess give me a little bit of background as far as how you have the information that you have. You just kind of talked to me on Reddit as far as like, you know, what you knew. So how, how do you know and what do you know about oh, the ocean? I lived in Hawaii before I was stationed there for about six or seven years, give or take. My dad was stationed there twice. So as far as being well acquainted with the ocean, like that was never really an issue. It was an issue for my parents because uh, they were very scared because I was like a kid at the time. So like I was just like running into the ocean, whatever. But I've always been super fascinated by it and learned everything I possibly could about animals like the orca is probably my favorite animal and that's not a fact of you asking me a question about it or uh, it being relevant to this episode but no it's it's like the truth a lot of people think like oh man wolves are cool or or bears or tigers or whatever and i'm like yeah but i think we all know if they were in the ocean who would win (laughs) it's just it's just one of those things and then like the more you dive into it (laughs) ah, puns like the more you 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 look into this stuff the more you realize how how little and how much we know about the ocean, the life in it. And of course, like most of my YouTube subscriptions are all educational YouTubers. Smarter Every Day is like one of my favorites. He's an engineer in Alabama. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's amazing. And he did a few trips to Australia to interview with a toxinologist, which is a person that specializes in looking at basically poison and venom of certain animals. And so obviously in Australia, that's a that's probably one of those jobs you want because everything yeah, there pretty prevalent. To kill you. Yeah, for sure. And then, so when I was looking into biology, marine biology was going to be my, my, like what I specialized in. And then I ended up going computer science and my best friend who was computer science ended up going marine biology. So we both kind of flipped. And so he and I go back and forth and I help him out with studies and stuff like that almost on a weekly basis. Right now, he and I were talking just before on this call how he's in a class right now learning about elephant seals and i was like yeah elephant seals are cool but i'm about to talk about orcas on a podcast and i think one of them is a little cooler than the other (laughs) but i might be biased so (laughs) educational mine's more a curiosity than like a degree that i have in in like ocean studies it's more like a passion that i have for for learning about things and specifically oceans are fascinating i mean 
it's what 72 percent of the planet is covered in water so yeah so i don't know if that fulfills your requirements but that's a great first step so i guess so with my podcast i'm using the lens of music to look at things like we're gonna we're gonna look at everything in the ocean talk about the ocean with the idea that maybe we're kind of starting off with like what's the music of the ocean what's the sounds of the ocean so for instance we let's just start you kind of talked about the orca whale being a passionate subject that you enjoy and they definitely make a lot of noises and they have their own whale song i'm, I'm guessing oh yeah so orcas oh man this is when it comes to whales whales are and this is something that took me a really long time to understand the difference between whales and fish so you have because whales are they started out in the ocean then they evolved to be land animals and then they went back to the ocean because apparently the land wasn't good enough so when they went back a lot of those traits and physical characteristics that they had on land they carried with them to the ocean so you see whales have the their tails are horizontal they go up and down whereas fish go side to side because they've always been in the ocean so they never developed a spinal cord that was straight down their back the way that ours is and so they use sound with their tails as well which is crazy orcas have also been documented as mimicking human speech which is bananas there's a couple videos that i can probably fine pretty quickly but you can hear an orca being taught how to say hello and bye and no and they're very very distinct it just goes to show like a it's just bananas to me yeah so is that usually from orcas that are in captivity or is this even with wild orcas uh wild orcas also they are one of the few animals that are able to replicate excuse me um replicate an entire different species of animal so you have whales and then you have the subset which is dolphins of course i think it's like oh god i can't remember the actual latin but it's just dolphins and then orcas fall underneath that category but orcas can mimic dolphins and what they're able to do is trick young and even some adult dolphins into believing that the orca is part of their pod and then they'll just eat them alive it's <laughs> It's crazy. And I think a lot of people are like, oh, orcas are so cute. And it's like, yeah, that's because we don't have to deal with them. So is that where they get the, the term killer whale? I want to say that killer whale derived from when we were whale hunting. There's actually a really fascinating story where, now I want to say that this is the origin story, but you can correct me if I'm wrong. But what happened is way, way, way back when there were whalers, there was a ship that had a pod of killer whales follow them as they were hunting whales and what the pod would do was follow alongside the ship you know the the massive whaling vessel that they had you know made of wood and all this stuff and they would follow along and then as the harpoons would pierce the actual whale that they were hunting the whales the the orcas would swim alongside and just tear it to pieces and they developed like um uh, oh God, symbiosis there we go i i know words a symbiotic relationship where the killer whales would kind of become like wolves or dogs and they would go and they would kill the animal and then the whalers could take what they wanted and then leave the rest for for the killer whales which is i think is the first time that they were called that hmm. okay that's really good to know yeah so there's, there's, uh, God, it's fascinating. Like they have the nickname, like, um, wolves of the sea or ocean. And it's, yeah, that, that's basically because they travel in like these huge six, it's between six and 30 to the point that, like, even great whites, if they see an orca, will, uh, quite literally just turn tail and leave. One time there was, and of course, like, I was doing tons of research before this. So this is all super fresh because I didn't want to 
come on here and just be like, well, orcas are cool. And you're <laughs> like, well, what else? And I'm like, I don't know. They're black and white. Yeah. <laughs> so like a lot of this is stuff that I know and knew, but I wanted to refresh. And then there was just some fun stories that I saw. There was a, uh, there was a great white that they had tagged in Southern California. And this dude was, I think, um, 15 to 18 feet. And uh, there was a pod that was just swimming, swimming through and it dove to 500 meters and then swam to California or to Hawaii. Sorry. So like it saw a pod and was like, nah, nah, I can't, uh, I'm out. And then just went to Hawaii from California. That's so it swam thousands of miles to get away from a pod of whale. It, it really is, is that crazy. And like the things they do sound wise, you know, coming back around is also remarkable. Of course, there are the things they do with their voices, but they can also echolocate, which is something completely different that they don't necessarily need because they're at the top, but because they fall under dolphins, they also evolved that trait. And so echolocation is like super fascinating because so, we all know, Oh, sorry, go ahead. So echolocation. I mean, that's pretty much like what we have in our submarines, like sonar. Is that similar? Right. Right. Exactly. It works a little differently when it comes to, you know, biological sonar as it were, where as opposed to, you know, the uh, the sonar that we have. It's slightly different just to the way the, the echo works and how it reverberates within the skull of the animal. But other than that, yeah, it's it's the same exact concept, yeah. So what, what do they use this uh, echolocation for then? So we're talking orcas or, or dolphins in general. So echolocation is is exactly what uh, what we've all grown up knowing, from bats to whales, both. And then they also all have perfect vision. So there's that common misconception that, you know, blind is a bat, but that's uh, completely false. Bats have incredible vision and then they also have echolocation. So if they need to, they can also use that at night and you can hear them clicking. And the same thing happens in dolphins slash killer whales. They, so dolphins in particular have something called, um, <laughs> I love the names that scientists give things and it will never not make me giggle like a child they have like in their foreheads they have something called the melon which is which is what the sound permeates through so they just behind this if you think like uh, if you picture like a dolphin in your head you have their forehead on top of their forehead you have the the two um, breathe you have the breathing hole which is the two slits and then right there you have like a nasal passage that goes down so when they make this sound, it goes up through that and then is pushed through that melon outwards. And then so they're the sound waves that they make push out and then uh, come back and they can tell distance, direction, speed, and size of whatever they're looking for. So it can be used for locating you know, family members, pod members, what have you, to also determining whether or not what they're actually looking for is actually that if it's a little farther off. Because the beauty of using echolocation in the water as opposed to using it in the air for bats is that water is able to transmit sound four times faster than in air because of the the density of the particles. So you have a lot more because water is a liquid, you know, we both know water is a liquid. So the particles are able to transmit sound faster than the air particles in air because they're so far spread apart. So you can use echolocation for miles to, to track something down if you need to. And that is exactly what ends up happening. Awesome. So does that mean with orcas, especially is that their main sense of like, do they, do they still use their eyes to hunt things or is it really truly through echolocation? 
Oh, very much their eyes. Orcas have some of the best eyes uh, around, which is which is crazy. I think when we picture orcas, we think that the uh, the big white spots on the side of their head are you know are what we think of their eyes, but their eyes are usually in front of those, very predatory, right in the in the front of their face instead of on the sides where you you know you have fish. You think of a fish, the eyes are on the side of the head because they're prey. And that's how the animal kingdom evolved. You have prey that needs to be able to see 180, whereas, you know, predators need to see directly in front of them and need to have that focused eyesight. And so killer whales, orcas, are able to see extremely well, but they can also, you'll often see them poke up out of the water because, of course, they're also mammals. So they breathe air just like we do. And they will poke up out of the water if, say, let's say seals are on an iceberg, they can use echolocation to sense the iceberg. But if there is something on top of the iceberg or if it's a dense rock, they won't be able to see the, uh, the seals on top of it. So what they'll do is they'll poke up out of the water, they'll see the seal wherever it is in the center of the iceberg or whatever. And then the things that orcas do to outwit the prey is just it's one of those things that you're like, oh, well, yeah, of course that's how you do it. But then you put yourself in the feet or the shoes of a, of a seal. It's like, wow, you just, you're just going to have a bad day, buddy. So sometimes they'll, they'll peek up, they'll see what's going on, and then they'll, they can swim around in a circle, causing the ice to spin so fast that the seal can't hold on and it'll just slide off. <laughs> But then they also do something where they will breach up and out of the water. And breaching is uh, when a whale like completely jumps out of the water and comes back down, making a huge splash. And so what they'll do there is a bunch of them will go on one side and do this, and they will cause their own mini wave pool. And they will just tip the entire thing over. And then the seal is in the water exactly where they wanted it to be. So orcas have very good vision. They can use either one echolocation or their natural eyesight depending on what they're trying to get. So how do they communicate between each other then as far as like what they're going to do hunting wise? So this goes to what you alluded to earlier, you know, whale songs. Orcas and dolphins in particular have more click sounds than you have with like humpback whales or blue whales or, or any larger type whale that we see. Whales say like humpback whales those sounds originate more lower down. And what they do is with the air that they have, again, they can't breathe underwater forever, if at all. So what large whales, like humpback whales, will squeeze their vocal cords to make those long, drawn-out sounds. So if we, you know, we can make like yawns or people sing, and like you also flex and contract your vocal cords. But if you were able to take in more air and directly push it past your vocal cords into like a long sound. Oh man, this is this is right up your alley. Uh, like, like think of um, think of like a trumpet. Like that's that's more along the lines of what would happen with larger whales, whereas smaller whales are more like probably like a flute or like a I don't know what. Oh god, I wanted to say piccolo, but I'm I'm pretty sure that that is a Dragon Ball Z character. No, you're right. That's also an instrument. That's a small flute. Ah. Oh. Yes. But it's, I think it's also a Dragon Ball Z character. So <laughs> but I think, that, I think that's the, that's the comparison between, you know, how they actually, how they do the things that they do. So echolocation isn't really for, uh, like, communicating between one another. It is used to determine where everyone is in, like, dark and murky water. But again, they have excellent eyesight, so they don't need to use echolocation. It's more just instead of doing that, they'll just, you know, just talk using, you know, clicks. Awesome. That's uh, that's probably the best comparison that I'll ever make in my life. So. so you're giving me some really good info and 
like the the only unfortunate thing about my podcast is that it's going to be 15 minutes long. That's that's totally fine. And that's that's kind of what I, I was getting. I was I checked out the last episode and that's why I told you I was like this has a very NPR feel to it. And I think that's probably one of the better compliments that I could give. It's, yeah, thanks. No, absolutely. I I love Radiolab. Jad Appenrod is great. God, he's um, amazing. One of my favorite episodes is they did an episode on color and it is hands down my my favorite because it goes over I think I mentioned on Reddit we were talking about the mantis shrimp, which is if you ever get bored just look up the manuscript and just scroll through its Wikipedia. That thing is incredible. But what they were talking about is color. They dove into, man, I, I swear, I'm just going to stop saying dove because this doesn't mean to be <laughs> pun after pun. But yeah, like they have 16 different light sensing cones in their eyes, whereas we only have three. So we can see, you know, red, blue, green, and all the shades in between. They have 16 so when you think of like the the rainbow that we can see, you know, you, you have Roy G. Biv, cool. But then you think of what if you had 16, what if you had 13 more in your eyes, like what you could see, but it's just, ugh, God, I, could, yeah. I could talk about stuff like that all day, but yeah. Well, and that's, Eric, just give me one sec. I'm going to um, stop recording and then restart just to make sure that it saves the first part of our conversation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're good. Okay. Hi everyone, Future Steven here. How's it going? So before we get into the next chapter, I wanted to preface this with a mini story. I was looking for chapter artwork. So if you look down at your phone and you're not using Spotify, using a dedicated podcast app, if you look down at your phone, you will see each chapter has its own artwork. For this chapter, it has a very special artwork. When I was going through and getting pictures to put as the chapter artwork, as I do every week, I want to make sure that the artwork that I use is either free use or that I speak to the artists and get their permission because I don't want to steal somebody's art. Even though I don't make any money, I want to make sure that it's okay with them that I use their artwork. And I didn't want to have for this chapter a super creepy bleached white skull of a sperm whale. That way, if any kids are listening or parents want to show their phone to their kids of, you know, the different pictures that I have, because before this, you know, you've seen the orca pictures, which are adorable. But because in this chapter, I talk about how the skull of a sperm whale works, I wanted to make sure that it was, you know, kind of family friendly and cute, but also anatomically correct. And so I found this artwork when I was just Googling and it took me to a Pinterest page and then I had to search in the description for who the original artist was. Then I had to go to Instagram, uh, log in there, find the picture just to make sure that I had gotten the right artist, sent her a novel of a message. Thankfully, her DMs were open and I was able to reach out to her. I have no idea if I'm going to pronounce her name right. It looks like Christina DeKenny, and I'm terribly sorry if that is horribly butchered, but I will have her Etsy shop and her Instagram page both linked below, and the title for this chapter will be hyperlinked, so if you click on that, it will take you straight to her Instagram, and she was a pleasure, and I just wanted to give a shout out that she does incredible work. So uh, let's get back to the show. Yeah, I, I was just kind of thinking about the ocean because the ocean, I mean, that's where a lot of our biology, if not all the biology of the entire earth comes from. And at the beginning of the, our interview, you were talking about how there's so much mystery still within the ocean. And we, we think about space. We can, we can see a lot of space in our solar system. We can use telescopes and things like that. But the depths of the ocean are still a mystery. It's not, I mean, we've mapped out most of the earth on top of the earth, but underneath, you know, under the ocean, there's still a lot of stuff we really don't know about. 
So do you, I guess, do you have any, anything you can speak on about that? Yeah. So, I mean, we can keep going with the, with the whale thing, but there are other things that I, I do want to touch on. Not everything is, is whales when it comes to the ocean. Sperm whales are one of the species that is able to dive down the deepest. And what's remarkable is the way that their skull is structured. So if we look at if we look at the way that their skull is structured, you picture like a rectangle is basically what a sperm whale looks like. They're a rectangle with a tail. And if you just think of that, you basically already know what it looks like. But if you cut away, like if you split the rectangle into fourths, so four equal parts, and the left upper one, if you take that away as its forehead slash skull, and you look inside, their skull is perfectly evolved to echolocate and use sound to target things where light doesn't reach. So there are different there are different levels of the sea where light is less and less able to permeate, able to go down. And that's why at the lowest depths of the ocean, things just don't have eyes. There's no point. Why do I need eyes? Or their eyes don't work in the same way that ours do. So sperm whales, their forehead, if you look at their skull, it's flat on the back end. It looks like a, uh, like a basketball hoop. So you have that right angle looking thing. And then the backboard would be this plate. And then it goes out towards their mouth, kind of like an L. And so what happens is they send out their, their signal through their forehead, like, like all whales uh, that echolocate. And then when it comes back, it focuses on that backboard like a satellite. And so all those different signals from whatever they're trying to hit, hit hit the backboard, hit the hit that little satellite dish that's their forehead, and then it bounces back in one focused beam. And so they're able to better, you know, acquire whatever target they're looking for. And that is incredible that that's the way that they evolved for, you know, as opposed to all the other all the other types of animals within the ocean that that use a similar feature. But if we go lower, there are we didn't think that there was life at the bottom of the ocean. This was decades ago. You know, this was this is like when around the same time that the Titanic was found, we didn't think that anything could be so far down that nothing would exist. But then there was an ex expedition to get to the bottom of the ocean. And I can't remember who who headed this expedition, but the the problem with exploring the deep depths is that you need very specialized equipment to do so. Of course, exploring space is the same. However, comma, we can see space, you know, we can just see it from afar and it's not a big deal. When it comes to the ocean and actually exploring it, so far down, things will just crush you because of the 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 density, the the weight of everything will just crush anything down there. And so we thought, hey, there's no light. It's that dense. Why would anything live down there? There's there's nothing. There's nothing. But this expedition went down there and they found these huge, huge, like smokestack looking things that are pushing out this water. And you can hear it in the audio. It's like a whooshing sound. And they're like, what, what, what is that? What is that sound? What is making this? What 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 is this? And so they kept looking. They kept looking, and they found these things called hydrothermal vents that were pushing out this gas, this this black stuff, and all around it. And it was about roughly like 700 degrees Fahrenheit, which for those on the metric system, you're looking at about 400 degrees Celsius. All around it, it was stupid hot, and life thrived. And it's just, it's fascinating that toxic stuff was just being spewed forth and life was just carrying on as if nothing was wrong. But this was completely new to all of us. We were just like, what? what? There's no light? There's no, where's the energy coming from? And so, 
Yeah, and I was just I was just kind of thinking about you made the analogy between space and under the ocean and the more I thought about it and the more I researched, once you're in space after you can get through the atmosphere and you're literally in space, the spacecraft all it is is just encompassing you. There's no it's a vacuum in space. There's no pressure in space. So all you need is a vehicle that's airtight in space to be alive versus when you're in the ocean, you need a vehicle that can withstand thousands of pounds of, of pressure from water coming from every single angle. And that to me is ridiculous. It's, it's so much more difficult, I assume, to be under thousands of feet of water rather than just being in space. That's exactly right. And you, you said it perfectly that it's, it's not just from one direction that this pressure is coming from because you also have the buoyant force acting directly against you. And the buoyant force is basically what propels things upward, things that are less dense than the area around them are pushed forward up to the surface. And that's not the technical way to explain it, but it is the best way to understand it. And so you have that force directly acting against you. So you have to fight against that while also being able, every square inch of your vehicle needs to be able to resist something, directly trying to crush it like a soda can. And if there are any weaknesses, you either, and that's that's another danger. Oh man. So there's also, man, I can't, uh, I can't remember the name of it. But if you rise too quickly, say there is a crack in your hull, right? And you and your submersible, the machine you're going in, if you rise too quickly, air bubbles can develop inside your body, in your bloodstream, and will kill you. I think this is called atmosphere sickness or... I can't remember the, the actual term, but that's basically what, does hap what ends up happening. So even if you do everything right and you're done and then you're like, all right, let's go. And then you just rise back to the surface. You'll never make it because that is something else acting against you. And you don't have that thing. You don't have that problem in space. You just, as you said, you know, you're just acting against the vacuum of space. And of course, like there are a bunch of, I don't, I don't want to lessen the difficulty that it takes to go to space. Of course, dropping and sinking down in the ocean just means you have to be heavier. Going to space, you have to, you know, get off the ground and escape the gravity well that is the earth pulling everything down. So of course that takes a massive amount of fuel, but going down to the deepest parts of the ocean, yeah, I would argue is, is trickier in the engineering that it requires in order to keep everybody alive. But not only that, like when you think of a submersible, they're not these massive vehicles. They're not huge like a, like a rocket is, like, you know, like the Falcon Heavy, which, you know, SpaceX is developing. The Falcon Heavy is, is huge. It's this massive thing. Even the, the, you know, the Saturn rocket was, was huge. It was the biggest yeah, thing we ever would, built. Absolutely. Then you, you switch and you, you, you know, you, you flip right around and you go, okay, well, do we need to build something of equal size to reach the bottom of the ocean? Quick answer is no. <laughs> you, you, all of these things are so small. They're like the size of maybe, maybe a large car and, and that's it. But you only see a, a few people inside. And that's because all of that space, everything in there is equipment that you need to operate all of the things that you're trying to do. So you need your own flashlights because of, as we said, there's no light down there. There's zero. And any of the noise, any of the stuff, unless it's coming from the animals trying to lure one another in with, you know, their lights or the vents, really there's no sound. There's nothing, there's nothing down there. There's no light. There's, there's nothing. It's like deadly quiet. And so you have the engine of your submersible making all the sound, making all the light. You're just like this huge beacon. And so things of course are going to are come to seek you out, but they're not these massive things. And I think that's a, a really striking difference between the two. Yeah, absolutely. I was just kind of thinking of, I think I was listening to Stuff You Should Know. I don't know if you've listened to that at all. Oh, yeah, of course. And they were talking about 
this expedition that went down a little bit not safe for work not going to put it on my podcast but this expedition went down in a submarine and they came up and as you were saying this the sickness that happens the uh, atmospheric sickness so they had to stay they were actually on the surface but the 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 pressure within their vehicle was still the same and it, and it would slowly disperse the air to normalize the pressure and for some reason one of the techs opened the door prematurely and the people inside literally got liquidized because the pressure was so different between under the ocean and at you know zero feet at ocean level yeah there's actually a, a really fascinating and not the most attractive fish but i think everybody's seen it it's called the blobfish that is literally its name and when you take it from the, the depths of the ocean and none of the ones that we have survive to be studied. And that's another, another hard part is that the animals that we want to study from the depths of the ocean have evolved over thousands of years to thrive in this environment. And so when we try and take them to a new environment so we can examine them, we can, we can learn about them, we can find new, new things and they don't survive. And the blobfish in particular is, is a very interesting one, because when you, if you Google it, you'll see like this frowny faced old looking man type fish. And that's because when we take it out, the, the pressure difference causes it to look that way. But if you put it down in the depths, it looks vastly different. And this is exactly why it's, it's the difference in pressure and it's, oh, it's cool. Yeah. Scary, but cool. Yeah. Wow. Well, this, this has been great. I, I would love to talk more, but I feel like we have so much stuff. And I was going to, originally what I was going to do, I usually do a few chapters in my podcast, but I think I'm just going to either do two chapters or just make one long chapter as far as talking on this, just because, I mean, you gave me so much material. So thank you for, for that. Oh yeah. Any, anytime. No, this was, <laughs> I, uh, I have wicked ADHD. And so like, I'm of course medicated for it. And, uh, but when it comes to talking about something I'm super passionate about, like I could talk for days, it's a lot of fun to talk with somebody that has, you know, the same passion about the same stuff and is as inquisitive as you've been. So I, I loved it. This, this was a, a lot of fun. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Um, I guess before, I mean, we don't need to be done necessarily, but before we are, is there anything, you know, either miscellaneous or anything else about the ocean you want to talk about that you were thinking about? Oh, man. Uh, oh, man. I know there, there is, oh, 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 well, this is a quick, well, it could be quick, it could be long, it really depends. But there are things called, and I think I was telling you about this a little while ago in, when we were talking about doing this, there are things called keystone species. And now this can be as long or short as you want, but the, the short answer is these are species of animals that are a keystone. So if you think of uh, like a Roman style arch, like, a, like an archway, at the very tip, like in the very center, you have what's called the keystone. That's the keystone brick or rock that you have that holds up the entire arch, all the from the right side to the left side, all depend on that one to keep all the balance and disperse all the weight being applied to it. And this is the exact same thing we have in species. So I will talk about one because it's my best friend's, it's his favorite animal. And it's also my dad's favorite sea animal is the otter. The otter is a keystone species, not to mention that they are super adorable. So hundreds of years ago, we had, you know, hunting otters for their pelts. They're very, they're very soft. They're very water resilient. So they make excellent furs to wear. And of course, nowadays we have much better technology and you 
shouldn't kill otters. I feel like I should say that, but they, they hunted them in the up near Alaska and some places around there, uh, different islands, and they hunted them near to extinction. Why is this Why is this bad? So otters famously eat, what are those spiny creatures? Urchins. There we go. They they eat urchins. They usually are or oysters. You can see them, you know, floating on their backs, cracking them open with, you know, rocks and stuff. It's super adorable. But what the urchins feed on is kelp, is seaweed. And these forests, these blooms, these underwater yeah, forests, they're they're huge and they they host so many animals, so many, so many different forms of life. And then, you know, fish can use them not only as breeding grounds, but also to hide from we were talking about it earlier, orcas. Orcas are they they don't care where they get their food. And but if it's a little tricky if a fish is being super evasive in the kelp. Okay, well, it's not that big a deal. Whatever, we'll find something else that's bigger and easier to find. But it provides like a safe haven for all these different animals. But it also is extremely great. You know, it's a plant. So you have photosynthesis occurring there. So you have all these chemical processes, all these benefits. But when the otters were hunted to near extinction, what ended up happening is the urchins were able to roam free and urchins feed on kelp. And so we can see this in the data. We can see that without otters uh, hunting the urchins, the urchins were able to basically decimate these entire forests of kelp. And of course, this has a, a chain effect all the way up the food chain. And so what ended up happening is like the killer whales, because they didn't have otters to feed on, would start preying on dozens of other different animals that weren't their natural source. And so it, it becomes this huge, huge thing and also leads to swaths of dying out of, of plankton, which are very, very, very small animals. But without that that rich source of you know energy that they're getting from the the kelp and these these forests of seaweed like they all die out and of course like this again is just a chain effect and that's so why otters are so key to the environment and to ecosystems in general and that's just a quick example of a keystone species and so that's that's just something else that's a lot of fun to talk about yeah, it's really interesting to see how far it can go down the line as far as just one thing happening and, and suddenly another ecosystem thousands of miles away can be completely affected. Yeah, that's ridiculous. That's just another thing, but they're doing really well now. Um, they reintroduced a lot of otters into the environment, and so they're doing extremely well. And of course, because they're hunting the urchins, the uh, kelp forests are being able to regrow. And I don't think it's back to the levels that it was before we were hunting them, it's it's getting there. But much like the ozone, the you know the hole in the ozone layer, the amount of damage that was done is going to take time to fully heal from from what was done. But I definitely think now it's it's really easy scientifically to paint very cute animals as necessary for the environment. When we think of a lot of the the animals that are on the endangered species list, otters, tigers, pandas, they're all adorable. <laughs> there are also a lot of animals that are on there that aren't so cute and you know, like plankton and, and urchins and, and things like these that aren't on the list, but are still very key to this, this ecosystem. And by knowing about this and by understanding how a keystone species works and how important they are to the environment could lead to, you know, a better understanding of, of the world and our role in it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. This is great stuff. Thank you, Stephen. <laughs> I, I, I mean, number one, you know how to talk on a podcast and that's going to make my life a hundred times easier on editing my the, the, <laughs> the only difficulty here is going to be like weeding the best stuff out which is a lot of it so it's, yeah you know what I'm, you know i'm sorry 
You know, if, I, if I'm ever back, I will just not say anything. No, this was perfect, Stephen. Um. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Um, you can find me on all the social media. My podcast is called Persuade You. It's a weekly show where I do my best to convince you to check something out that I'm recommending. And I think it was excellent that I did this show because my last episode was on the Magic School Bus. And I don't think you can get more educational, you know in the same vein that we were talking about than that. So um, you can find me at persuade you on Twitter or persuade pod on Instagram or Facebook. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And I'll definitely either have your uh, voice or I might just talk about your podcast at the very end. So Steven, thank you so much for talking today. Your knowledge was (laughs) ridiculously more than I I thought was going to be happening from somebody randomly on Reddit. So yeah. um, I know a lot of useless facts. They don't really help me in my daily life, but that's okay. I'm more than happy if you ever want me to talk on your podcast or if if you want any input on anything, I'm more than happy to do that. Yeah, for sure. I actually, I will be starting a spinoff. I already have one episode recorded from a friend of mine and I plan on getting more hosts and definitely the ones that I've guested on. I definitely want them on that show. And that's going to be called Persuade Me, which is really easy spinoff. And instead of me convincing the listeners to check something out, and have a host on so you try and convince me to check something out that you really love and so yeah it, it'll be a lot of fun i have new artwork and so that would be a lot of fun to do for sure so i'll definitely keep you in the contacts absolutely i'm uh i mean i'm working from home so <laughs> it's really easy for me to just take time to do whatever it's not like i'm working 40 hours a week right now once i'm done i'm gonna this should be dropping next wednesday awesome any uh, any last thoughts no, sir. I will look at everything and then I'll, I'll get back to you about the uh, the guest show and we can talk about like the format and then the stuff through through email or, or what have you. Yeah, so. absolutely. I'd be more than happy to come on and I hope we can have a few more uh, interactions in the next, you know, whatever. Yeah, for sure. You ever want me back? Yeah, just shoot me an email or, or reach out on Reddit or wherever. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely jump on. This was, this was a lot of fun. All right. I appreciate it, Steven. All right, man. Take it easy. Have a good one. All right, bye.